But the key things that you need to bear in mind is make everything you do explicit. So we will give them welcome packs. In that welcome pack is a photo of what the entrance looks like, what does security look like, what are the forms they might have to fill out, what information do they need to have to give to the person at the desk, um, where will they go, what room will they sit in, who will they be talking to, what will the program look like. So we give anyone that comes in, we give them a whole pack uh, so that they can picture in their minds what that environment is going to be like and what right. to expect. So that massively lowers anxiety and that's the key thing you're looking to do when they first come in is you want that to be a completely non-anxious experience right. because they will be able to give far more hello and welcome to voices with talking talent the podcast that explores the real issues people face in the workplace this is a space to have the open and brave conversations that inspire change and spark action we're Talking Talent, and every week we'll be joined by a different guest. Stay tuned for discussions on the issues that business leaders are trying to overcome and what the future looks like for truly diverse and inclusive organizations. Hello, Emma O'Leary. Thank you for joining us on Talking Talent's podcast. My name is KK Harris. I'm one of the executive directors at Talking Talent, and happy to say, a business coach psychologist as well. And it's wonderful to have conversations with people who are in that diversity space and have come into it in a different way that's quite personal. So it was nice to have uh, been asked to interview you, Emma. You know, you're working at a, at a fabulous company. Everybody knows the name, Procter & Gamble. You're a director in the grooming incubator team, which I really, I'm going to need you to tell the audience what that actually means, what that entails. Today's conversation is one that speaks to my heart. I am a neurodiverse person. I recently, as an adult, had my assessment for ADHD, was, which was uh, a big eye-opener on so many levels um, because I'm such a champion of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. And um, I think that's what led me to going ahead and going ahead and, and getting my assessment. I always knew there was some explanation for certain types of um, uh, strengths and um, weaknesses, someone might say, but um, I should just say differences. And, and it was nice for me to make that jump and, and, and learn why. And it has affected me. And I should say, it, one of the reasons I went ahead and had my assessment as well is because I needed to be able to explain to my previous um, bosses, what was going on with me? What, why was this dynamic personality, but yet I couldn't do something that others might have seen to be so difficult, so so easy, not challenging, but it was something I couldn't do. And ultimately, I did leave that organization because I didn't feel that the the support was there. But enough about me. Let's talk about you, please. I did your introduction, but please introduce yourself to us. Uh, and, and what brings you uh, here today, how you feel, why you can't said yes, let's have this conversation. Yeah, so I'm Emma O'Leary. I'm a director at Procter & Gamble. Um, so I'm a manager of people. And in my role, I work in very upstream innovation. So Grooming Incubator is one of those organizations. Because it's upstream, it's very much about, you might say invention or kind of blue sky thinking. 
thinking differently, approaching problems differently. And, and that's something that PNG really grounds itself in is having a really strong innovation program. So, you know, it's a fantastic place to work. It's very creative and it's it's quite different, which kind of then fits with some of the things that then subsequently happened to me. Um, I have a son, he's autistic and he's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Four, he showed signs of being able to problem solve. So I'll tell you the story. He's in the bath and I'm kind of like milling around and he said, mum, 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 come and have a look. And he's got a little toy boat in the bath and he's making big waves in the bath and the boat kept tipping over. It tips over, mum. And I'm like, that's nice, dear. And I'm milling around, mum, 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 I fixed it. And okay. so I went into the bathroom and he has modified this boat and essentially he's created a keel and now he's testing it again and he's making the waves and it doesn't fall, Mark, it doesn't fall over now, Mark. And I was like, that's so amazing. And it must be because of the way kids play. And I was thinking, right. you know, how do you get people in my work environment to innovate and problem solve in a different way? And I thought it's how kids play. He later on went on to get a diagnosis for autism and then subsequently he's also severely dyslexic. Okay. Um, and he's kind of a fascinating problem solver. Kind of, and I was like, oh, this is about the autism. And so I started to then do the research around autism and I was like, this is an opportunity we are not making the most of. And that kind of started the program at Procter & Gamble. And I want to I want to hear about that program. If you could, you know, kind of explain to the audience what program you're talking about, because now you just given the kind of condensed version. When we had a chat originally early in the year, we went really in depth. It was like an interview outside before an interview. And I know that there before we go to P&G, I'd actually like to kind of talk about that, that because um, you, you had a struggle with your child. You had a struggle with mainstream school, with getting him the support he needed so he could really flourish. Can you give us a little picture that paints that? Because I think it has such influence on what you then went ahead and did um, and achieved over at PNG when it comes to neurodiversity. So give us a snapshot. It was a huge battle. So he was in a mainstream school and, and he was starting to struggle in school. And they'd always described him as, your son is on his own agenda. And at the mm. time, I didn't realize that that's teacher speak for we think he might be autistic. Okay. Um, because they don't like to say that to parents. And that had been happening. So I think he was in year two as we went. We started that process right at the beginning of year two because they, they called me in. And, and I, in that, I was like, mm, do you think he's autistic? Because I'd started to get some suspicious. Now, at that time, I didn't know anything about autism at all. I'd seen Rain Man and that was pretty much the limit of my knowledge. So um, actually then to suggest that and then to like really agree and go, oh, they were so relieved that I had said it. So okay. we then started a journey. Now over the next year, we got him, you know, he had support in place, he had to have full-time support. Very capable, he's very articulate but he struggles to focus in a mainstream environment. There's too many pupils in the class. It's too noisy, it's too fussy, there's too many distractions. You know, really, really struggled to maintain focus and learn in that environment. And he had a very good teacher at that time. And then at the end of year two, as he moved into year three, 
they took away all his support. He had a change in head teacher, a change in Senko, a change in everything. And then the battles really started. And as part of that, I was going on the journey so that I could equip myself and be ready to have those discussions um, and to fight his cause. I needed to know absolutely everything about autism, neurodiversity being neurodivergent, what it meant, how it manifested itself. I went on courses, conferences, everything to really ensure that I had the right tools right. to fight his cause. And he'd gone from being in full-time school to in one academic year, the most he ever attended in one day was three and a half hours and the least was half an hour. I mean, it was horrendous time. He then, you know, after battling for that year, I succeeded in getting him into a specialist setting. So a new placement mm-hmm. which, um, where they only cater for individuals with autism. Okay. And he went from barely attending school to not really loving school holidays because he's not in school. So it was a huge dramatic change from right. I can only do colouring in for half an hour a day to actually I can engage in every aspect of school I have loads of friends you know getting them in and and that kind of is really important in the workplace too because the moment his setting was the right one where he was understood and they had all the right elements around he went from not performing to performing and that's what we have to do in a working environment let's go there thank you you said you said you go from not performing to performing, and that was related to the support that was in place. And that makes me think about, you know, neurodivergent people being in an organization. One, we're quite often in the closet because we're ashamed or we have a certain stigma in our minds or what society is put there. And then another is that, you know, we may not get the support that we need. And that's a shame, you know, there's support that's needed for the neurodivergent person. And then I feel that there's also support needed for the management and to to understand that you're just not managing that person. You're managing the team around, around, uh, around this neurodivergent person. So there's lots of understanding. Can you talk to that part of that management of it? Yeah, so we, as we started to bring in more neurodivergent individuals, it has become necessary to ensure that we create an entire support network around them. And that includes training managers, training supervisors, training the whole team, and also providing them with a support group. So there is a fabulous, and it's kind of bubbled up more recently, maybe in the last kind of year at 18 months, is that there is now a global neurodivergent support group. And it's all aspects of neurodivergence, not just autism, but it happens to be run by three autistic individuals. And that is probably my favourite meeting because every time I sit in there, I learn something new about how we manage and enable individuals, what struggles they're facing, how we can incorporate those in making sure we give the right adjustments. We also provide everyone with an adjustments document. It's called the I will document. It's essentially Mm. a set of commitments, again, so that the individual knows what their commitments are. The team knows how they need to be treated. The manager knows what's critical. 
and we have company elements in there such as providing flexible working hours or a quiet space where they can go and be and those things are then built around an individual the key thing is every one of those plans is works with the individual and based on that individual because as we know everyone in that neurodivergent community has different and unique needs and so it's important that we work together to give the individuals the support they need and that's really enabling right right can you talk to us now about the the program because this isn't you know just for the audience this isn't something that you have been paid to do you do an entirely different job but yet you've taken on this because you're so passionate about it can you tell us about what you help to implement at PNG so the audience understands why you have all this information I I went to one of these conferences and I saw this brilliant guy present he, he's normally non-verbal but he stood up and he talked and he actually works for the BBC and he was he clearly really understood his topic and he's in programming and I thought we are not recruiting that individual in science and engineering how would I and this was my inspiration how would I recruit the science engineering version of this guy and so that kind of set me off on that I work in a creative organization where we have a little bit of flexibility to explore different approaches to drive innovation And so I started a neurodivergent recruitment program focused on autistic individuals. And we started that with the National Autistic Society because when we kicked that off, we really needed support. And now we kind of run it on our own. And it was about getting autistic individuals, not necessarily with an educational background that is something they could prove they could do it, but people who had a passion area around science and engineering. And then we had them have an opportunity to see what does the workplace look like? What types of equipment and facilities do we have? How do we think about problem solving? And then give them a chance to demonstrate how they think differently. And we were looking to recruit individuals that think differently about challenges, not necessarily get it right, but think about the problem solving in a really different way. And so we kind of set up a whole, it's a day assessment. And then from that, we bring in some work experience individuals. And we also have our entire apprenticeship and internship program. So we can then put them through those programs. And that started us on full-time hiring. We've had employees come through this. We've also had individuals who have gone on to be diagnosed because of their training. Mm, So they're like, oh, that's me. I recognize myself. And then they could suddenly completely unmask who they are and actually the program's gone global so there are recruitment and and we recruit differently depending on what the needs of the business are so if you're recruiting for a legal job for example you wouldn't do it in the same practical way we would do it in a a kind of an innovation space but it's all over the world so I mean it's it's a pretty cool program even if I do say so myself that's fantastic I want to ask a question you know so, so that's PNG. So what are the practical ways that another organization, you know, you can create inclusive recruitment, onboarding, and pro- progression process? What's some practical tips for someone listening in on this and wants to share that with their organization? That, so once they're in, there's quite a few elements you could do. Getting them in, I yeah. 
really need to work with external agencies. If you're not used to doing this, I think just going in and doing it would be quite challenging. We set it up as a pilot and we, we worked with the National Autistic Society. And once we'd done that, we kind of knew what we were doing okay. and we could then run it on our, ourselves. But the key things that you need to bear in mind is make everything you do explicit. So we will give them welcome packs. In that welcome pack is a photo of what the entrance looks like. What does security look like? What are the forms they might have to fill out? What information do they need to have to give to the person at the desk? Um, where will they go? What room will they sit in? Who will they be talking to? What will the program look like? So we give anyone that comes in, we give them a whole pack uh, so that they can picture in their minds what that environment is going to be like and what right. to expect. So that massively lowers anxiety. And that's the key thing you're looking to do when they first come in is you want that to be a completely non-anxious experience right. because they will be able to give far more. We do not interview them in that first session. What we do is we get them to demonstrate what they're good at. We are not there to test them or challenge them. We are there to see how they think about problems. And so that is another way of thinking about it. If you uh, are looking, you won't get the full benefit of having neurodivergent employees if you tell them what you want them to do. If you see what they're good at and then see where they're fit, then right. you can start to then help them into a working environment that meets their needs and yours. So right, right. our program's not there's a philanthropic benefit but the reality is there are amazing people out there and if we don't recruit in the right way we are missing out on them and right. once they're in the company then there are some very simple things you need to go do one is how does your autism affect you or your neurodivergent condition and what would you need to really enable you and right. that is the simplest thing to go and do. I think if somebody's in a wheelchair, we know they might need ramps, you need bigger doors, right. you need to make sure that there's a, the lift is working. Yeah. But when you look at a hidden condition, you have to ask them, how do you experience this? How do you cope with noise? How do you cope with smells? How, how would you like to work? What flexible working works for you? And then almost some, come down to this set of agreements that says, right, we understand how you work and we're going to enable you to work in that environment. But we have spaces where we have reduced noise or we have a non-interruption space. or we, I mean, there's so many digital tools now. There's the benefit of the pandemic is that now everyone's so used to using digital tools. If someone's non-verbal, you could just use so many different chat environments. Right. We, can, right. we can enable them to do what they're really good at without having expectations that sit mm -hmm. in a place that might not work for them. Right. You know, that I was just thinking about that. And I was thinking about, you mentioned, you know, you're training, you know, not, you, you're, they're, everyone's being trained. There's this holistic thing going on, right? And it just made me think of what challenges have the team faced, right? Have they felt challenged working with a neurodiverse person? And what, what has come up? What should, should, I guess, managers or HR be, be prepared to hear about? Are people, are people willing to be honest and say, I'm uncomfortable with this neurodiverse people or I don't know how to speak to them? So are there any challenges you've seen around the for the team? Yeah, that, there have definitely been. Not necessarily in my organisation, but I've certainly been approached by to be mentors for people in other organisations okay. where maybe the team wasn't fully trained. 
And so in those circumstances, one thing I usually do is I go and run training with the manager and for the team. And I have the neurodivergent as part of that training. So I talk generically about autism and how it might be perceived by a person. And I have them say, well, for me, it looks like this. Yes. Or those things I'm okay with, but these things really bother me. Now, that is hugely enabled just as a starting place because right. you're already embedding based on the individual. But some of the things I teach is, you know, you need to speak up. The neurotypicals need to speak up. If you have a neurodivergent person that, for example, when they come in first thing in the morning, you say, how are you? And they start to overshare their personal life, which they can do. Yeah. You need to have trusted people around them where they can say, oh, that's too much information. You don't have to share that. And the reason why that's important is that they often afterwards will reflect on what they've said and become anxious that they went too far. And then it will start to worry them and stress them. And I have seen this happen. And so if you can get a team together, we're going to go, we're just going to be consistent and honest and trust each other. So that, and when they then know that they will be told if they overshare or if the thing they're talking about isn't appropriate or they're talking too much, if somebody knows actually that person over there I know is going to speak up and stop me, they have more confidence. So yes, there are challenges, but everyone needs to be open, honest, and understand that we're all different. We all have different needs, no matter what aspect of inclusivity it is. And yeah. just enable that in the workplace so everyone can kind of be their best and, and be frank and open. Fantastic. Um, I want to take it over to, to the, the working parent that you are of an autistic child. You know, we work with a lot of working parents in our coaching as well. And my sister is, uh, she has a son and he's uh, been diagnosed autistic at the end of. Uh, maybe about October or something, which was a relief because we had answers and she could then get him into the, the programs. And, and in America where she lives in Texas, um, she's got him in two fantastic schools. He's speaking, he'll be six in the next couple of weeks and his language speaking, his speaking skills are coming on. And so we're very hopeful, but that comes with a certain set of challenges for my for my sister he echoes a lot you know he repeats yeah, yeah. he'll he'll yeah. say he, he loves to, like he loves to go for to chick-fil-a or something right chicken and fries so he gets in the car and she'll often phone me and he's repeating this over and over mom chicken and fries chicken and fries yes we're going chicken and fries i mean the impact you know i always just encourage her tell me what it's like from your end to working parent autistic child challenges what is that like how has that been how's that affected you so there was obviously that whole year where he's not in school now I'm a single mom so that was then a huge amount of management required and kind of it's a good thing about being at somewhere like PNG where they value uh, your personal life as well and and create a work-life balance so I was basically told you do whatever you had to in this period of your time. So I was then able to do what I needed to do. Sometimes it was working from home and that wasn't really a thing. Other times it was kind of working with other people to get him picked up and kind of make sure he was safe. So that year, and at the same time, I spent every evening 
sending emails and battling the system to get him into the right placement. And I, I can't, I can't kind of really demonstrate how bad that was. And that's quite a few years. I mean, he's about to turn 14. And this was when he was kind of eight, seven or eight years right. old. So, and I could say, I now give my personal time to other parents because I know how bad it is. And there's no better person to understand how bad it is than other parents. So I now advise other parents and help other people who reach out to me to make sure that they have the support that they need. So it, it was a very, very challenging year. From then, he's obviously, you know, really blossomed in his new school. He was in school full time. He got transport to and from the school. So oh, there are elements of that, that we're in a, a really, really good place. And that's kind of what was worth the fight. But more recently, he's now a teenager. And teenager, if they're neurotypical, can be challenging. So you combine right. that with autism and it's like an extreme version. So he wow. can be aggressive, violent, and he's the same size as me. So, um, and, and the, you know, his language can be very floral and that can produce real challenges. Um, right. Right. Yeah, it can be immensely stressful. I have no idea. Like sometimes you don't see the trigger coming and he'll just go boom. And right. it, sometimes it's because he's frustrated with himself. Right. And there have been times when I've had to go and lock myself in rooms in the house because I know I'm going to make it worse if I'm in the same room. So I need to leave him alone, wait till he's calmed down. And then he'll go, mummy, I'm really sorry. But you right. know that he's still learning to manage right. his kind of... Like any teenager. Yeah, yeah. but with 10 times. really hard. It's, right. it's hard being a teenager. It's harder being a, a neurodivergent teenager. And then, so, so, you, so you speak so lovingly of that and the understanding is there. So how does a mom and, and then single mom on top of it, how do you go to work the next day? Are you are you putting on this facade like the world is okay and there's like, you know, everybody's singing peace and and, and and sunshine stories? I mean, what how does that impact you at work? I I know if my teenager, she's just she's struggling with her peer group or something. That affects me coming into work. But we're talking about something different. We're talking about something big. How do you handle that at work? So there have been times where I've just needed to put it into a compartment in my head okay. and, and, and get on with my job. There are other times when you just can't do that. And I'm a talker and um, somebody that as an extrovert type personality gets a lot from sharing with other people. There are trusted people within my organization where I can go in and go, it's awful, this has happened. And they will just listen. I mean, we have quite a lot of like mental health first aiders and they're trained to listen. So I work, and I'm a mental health first aider as well. And the thing is I can then reciprocate by doing it for others. But there are times when you just, you just have to let it out. And that might mean, and it's okay to do this, just cry, just like let it out. because. And, and I feel like where I work is a safe place where I can just let it out to and go, I've just had enough. There's also, we have quite a lot of wellness programs. And if you're having a hard time and you need to take time out and go for a walk, or then people understand, particularly when they know your background and they understand you. And I talk about my son very actively in work because he's a brilliant example of how I can 
managing them at home I can then reapply elements of that in the workplace so it's it's really mixed and it depends but there have been times where his language and and the abuse the stream of verbal abuse has been right before he leaves for school because there's a stress of a transition of leaving the house and getting into the car now within five minutes of being in that taxi he's completely fine but that moment could involve damage to the house slammed doors right language that definitely would make you cringe and you just have to go and this is what I do like you just have to go I love you for who you are and just let it go you just have to do that right what can you do you hold it in and you're just going to go explode it's not healthy has it been times as a as a, a working uh, working mother, working single parent of a neurodiverse child, where you just couldn't go into work, you, you it was all too much. Yeah, there, there have been those times, and actually, the pandemic has helped because as he's mm. turned uh, into a teenager, that's been during that pandemic yes. where we had yes. a lot of digital facilities to work from home. But I also right. have very understanding managers. There have been times where I just go. I just need to take time out. And obviously during part of that, he was at home, not at school. And so that was a huge challenge because there is no way he's self-motivated enough to go and do his schoolwork online like others are doing. Like, and, and, and I think his school are really understanding. They're going, don't make him do anything. So I would have to then make choices as to, and that's not different to most other people who are at home with their kids and going to work. But there's no way my son, so what I did was I allowed him to watch educational YouTube. Like we had a bit of an agreement and negotiation is definitely the best approach. Okay. We would negotiate, yeah, you can watch YouTube, but you need to include the following people in your YouTube watching. And some of them are engineers, like there's a guy called Colin Furs, who's an inventor and an innovator. And my son's like, okay, I'll watch Colin Furs. And he was just like, Before you know it, he's, he then not understands mechanisms around cars and ratchets and pinions and things like that, that right. he can then apply to other things. But once they're in his head, right. it's done. So I had to kind of agree a different parenting approach during that time and be okay. That's with beautiful. That. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. I, I want to know what advice could you give one, you, an Emma, she's going through the same thing she's just found so so she's in the early thing maybe she's what 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 one more term an introvert maybe she doesn't share often and yet she's she's going through those early years what you know what would you say to her and work as it pertains to work I think the key thing is just do your best Mm -hmm. you have to balance as a parent you've got to balance both elements you need to and money and be in a work environment and feel like you have a good career and that's kind of part of who I am mm-hmm. but I'm also a parent and I need to make sure that my son feels loved that he has time that he gets attention from me and so we the key thing was creating structure around that so I'd go right my son's called Jensen I say right I have meetings from here to here then I have a gap during that gap we will play Minecraft, like that's the thing he loved to do. Even if that's only 15 minutes, 
committing to something where you kind of give him some attention is a really valuable thing to go and do to ensure that you invest in that relationship. But then I have lots of other hours in the day where I can kind of make sure. And he he understands what, and sometimes he'll like pop into meetings. He'll just like turn up at the back and he'll look on, on the screen and he'll wave at them and then he'll walk out again because he's kind of fascinated by what I, I do. And I go, oh, this is Jensen. And then the moment I introduce him, he's legging it out the door. As fast as <laughs> right, right. I, I think the thing is, is just do your best and create yeah. a structure where you can give attention to both of the aspects of your life. Yeah. And, and there's something around the idea of being really authentic at work and letting people in. You know, I have people say, no, 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 that, that's my private life. I don't share too much. But it seems to me maybe there's a little bit of change that you need to be willing to make within oneself. Right. You know, change, be more open, share. Yeah, you can't create viral without being prepared to be vulnerable yourself because everyone goes through challenges, no matter what it is in their lives. Yeah. You know, everything from divorce to moving house, we know that those are huge stressful things. But yeah. if a manager just goes, I just need to cry for a bit, I mean, then they go, Ah, oh, these people are real. And right, right. If I, if I could do that. And the moment you give them a, a place where they can be safe to talk about challenges or problems or their mental health or difficulties they're facing you make everything more inclusive I'm a huge believer in just listening to people and enabling deep meaningful conversations because mm -hmm. the moment you, you do that you build a relationship and respect and a inclusivity that kind of transcends just a, I've done a I've done some training. It's right. all about people and the individuals. Right, right. I love, you know, that's just bringing you to, I love how your training is just everyone being in that training from, from the manager, from the neuro, neurodivergent person, autistic person or what have you, to the team, to everyone really being part of it. And that's really what we're talking about, inclusivity, inclusion. You're bringing everyone along the journey. And it sounds like, I mean, it's taken off what you've created and you kind of initiated at PNG. It's, it's, could you have imagined your input at this major brand helping to change things? I did have, like, whether it's in my professional life or my personal life, I did have a mission going... I've been through a really hard time and lots of people helped me, whether in the system or, you know, I shared with actually someone who reported to me. I'm just going, I'm going through this awful time. She gave me a piece of advice from a friend of hers. And, you know, all these people are like, I'm listening to you and I'm giving you a piece of advice. And some of those things really helped me. And my like payback to the, you know, what was to I have to do something positive with what I've learned and I have to try and change the world just a little bit I couldn't imagine it would kind of become as exciting as it's ended up being but I did have a mission to go I have to give back because so many people were there when I needed them right now is the time when I have to be there for others it's um, so interesting it's so interesting and, and I I really hope 
those that are, and I use the term in the closet that, you know, from this podcast, from your you know, meeting people like you, that they, they, come, they come forward and they feel that they're safe. You know, because I think that's what this is really kind of all about. It's, it's, it's a conversation around, you know, you can feel safe to come and be who you are, you know, and companies need to accept that there is so much difference, but there's so much richness in the difference. And I, and I think it's not just in the workplace. I, I personally feel like there are some cultural shifts towards more and it's not that there's a load of there's still a big journey to go on yeah yeah. I do feel like people are starting to embrace that embrace people's differences and allowing them to be who they are and I will do everything to continue right you know striving on that journey and helping others to see the benefits of working with different types of people and appreciating them for who they are and allowing them to bring their own passion areas and their own strengths into the workplace or into personal lives or whatever. And because there's so much richness in, mm-hmm. in having that, that diversity of people. Right, right. You know, and I like how you mentioned that, you know, you're seeing the change, you're seeing changes take place societally. And I was doing some, uh, I was having a conversation and I was talking about how in America, um, I'm based in the UK, but in America, it was the civil rights laws that had changed for black people. And then that began to usher in other changes for other people and from for, for the LGBT community, I think it was, uh, was two years ago now, geez, so quickly, but um, where things, you couldn't, you can no longer fire someone because of their, their, um, their sexual identity, right? And that's beautiful, change takes place. And when I think of this, this uh, neurodiversity being a part of the conversation over the last year, 18 months, I'm, I'm taken back to the horrific murder of George Floyd and then how Black Lives Matter really ramped up. And then it also said, hey, you know, what about us too? And this group and that group, and it takes these big pivotal moment, pivotable, pivotal moments in society where it just, it just, it's just beautiful. It just spreads out, you know, like like uh, all these little veins and threads coming from the heart and everything. And I think it's just wonderful. And um, I just, I, I'm just so happy to meet someone like you, Emma, and so happy to hear that Procter and Gamble. Uh, the people, whoever you spoke to, to help influence this change, that they heard you and they were willing to take a risk and also to set things up in a way that it be having people, neurodivergent people, autistic people at the organization is a benefit and, and, and not just a tick box exercise. Yeah. Is there, before we close, is there something else you would like to say? And then I want to ask you a question, Sarah. Is this anything else you'd like to share, um, either as employee, that side, or personally? I would like to share one thing about, you mentioned Black Lives Matters, and, and one of the other things I did was I actually set up a series on race to grow understanding about different ethnicities and backgrounds and things like that. I don't think that inclusivity is one particular pillar. That It's all about, I want to know the individual and understand their background, and 
learn about individuals and see them as individuals. And that goes across all aspects of inclusivity. And I think because there's a there's also an, an awful lot of intersectionality. So mm-hmm. um, in the neurodivergent community, there are a larger number of LGBTQ plus individuals than there are in the neurotypical population. So you have an awful lot of intersectionality in there. And intersectionality is something that we need to, you know, not separate elements of inclusivity, but combine elements of inclusivity mm-hmm. and, and think about it as inclusive is about people. It's just about knowing the people and caring about individuals. And so that's kind of one thing that I think crosses both my personal and my professional life in that I have a real mission to just hear people. Yes. Right, right. You know, hopefully, you know, one day, maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe one day people will look back and say, what was this whole thing about people being divided? What was this whole thing? What what did they need to talk about? Diversity? What, you know, wouldn't that be nice to to live to see something so powerful like that? I would say that that younger generation is really striving for that. And I hope that they carry that on for many, many years to come. I do want to ask you a question. I think we might've talked about this book. This book is called Neural Diversity at Work. And um, we had Theo Smith in on the, um, in on the, the conversation, the show here and everything. And I was just wondering if I could get you interested in a conversation, say like a little nice fireside chat with Theo Smith and myself. And yeah, I would love to have that. Hey. I have met him. He, he actually managed a conference where I was one of the presenters. So I have interacted with him before. But since that interaction and since seeing your podcast, I have now they're looking to do a series of talks from external people within Wonderful. the company. And I've put Theo's name on that list as I would love to see Theo Smith come in and talk to oh. the PNG community. Right. So I'm working on that, but I am very happy to kind of okay. meet up with you and Theo because I, honestly, I think the room would get so excited. I know, I know. That right. Actually, I think it would hard to get words out because we'd just be like, oh, God, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Let's change the world. Let's change the world. Well, you are changing the world. You are changing, uh, and literally on a global level, your input at PG and and whoever else you're coming in contact with, you are changing a part of the world that the world needs. And I just wanna you know, just say thank you so much for giving us your time here at Talking Talent and being, being a voice that we felt that needed to be heard. Girl, it's, it's a pleasure to speak with you. And you know, I was sitting here you know, with my ADHD, I get super excited, right? And I'm wringing my hands the whole time and I'm thinking, I'm forgetting that I'm on camera, but hey, this is my neurodiversity. But yeah, I can't wait for the three of us. Like, I'll reach out to Theo as well and say, let's just have it. Let it be on my um, on my uh, my thing. So uh, I can't wait to see you again, speak with you again, and uh, just keep up the good work. You've been such a wonderful guest, and I can't wait to speak to you again. Thank you so um, much for helping me change the world. Yes, yes. <laughs> you are welcome. See you soon. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Talking Talent. We're a coaching organization that helps you develop, advance, and retain your talent. 
Together, we can create a more inclusive culture where your people and your organization can thrive. You can visit us online at talking-talent.com. That's talking-talent.com. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.